Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so happy that you guys are here. We got a full house today in July. I love it. Lots of smiles. For the next few weeks, you can thank Pastor Ryan for this terrible late 80s song being stuck in your head. Back to life, back to reality. Um, We're in a brand new series. And just want to remind you that starting next weekend, we are going off the rails with no registrations, okay? So, wow, you guys are excited about that. Awesome. Um, Which means that we need your help. If this is like the service that works best for you, then please keep coming at 9.30. But if you're able to hang out at the 8 o'clock, we do have a lot of seats there, or even the 11 o'clock. We're so grateful for all of you guys being here and excited about this new series. We wanted to just kind of uh, look into some topics that we feel like are really prevalent in this age. Like it or not, COVID-19 has forever changed our world, right? It's forever changed us. I think not that COVID has necessarily created a lot of new things, but I believe that it's exposed some things that were already there. And it's definitely accelerated the timeline of many things that were already in motion and now they're happening faster than ever. I mean, if you look at just the the racial unrest that's present, the economic uncertainties, the the global pandemic that has set our global relief in terms of extreme poverty back by decades, I mean, in the midst of all of this, there is a lot of opportunity for us to be lost in fear. And that's the topic that we're going to address today from a biblical perspective, what really the Lord has to say about fear. And I think we have to look at this as two sides of the same coin. So we're going to jump into this. Is there such a thing as a healthy fear? And is there such a thing as an unhealthy fear on the dark side of fear? And and really, I believe there is. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And I think when we hear that phrase, a lot of us get confused and we have questions like, what does it actually mean to fear the Lord? Does that mean that I'm afraid of God? You know? And and is there such a thing as healthy fear? And for all the commands that the scripture would give us about not fearing, how do we actually do that? So it's one thing to understand, like that God doesn't want us to live in this perpetual state of fear or spirit of fear, but it's something different, right, to understand what the scripture says about how we can move forward. So we're hoping to answer those questions this morning, but before we do, we need to pray. And I would encourage you to really intercede because if you know me, typically I have one scripture and one point, and I go 40 minutes. (laughs) Today, I have three points in the first third, and we have 17 scriptures to look at. So if we just keep going into the afternoon, it's okay, there's no football yet. So So let's pray with that in mind. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for the privilege we have, God, in this new normal to get back to our lives and to some sense of reality. Um, God, we pray that as we look into the scripture today, and as we look at the difference between healthy and unhealthy fear, Lord, we pray that you would illuminate the text. Though we are going quickly, I pray that we would not be in a hurry. God, that you would really illuminate our hearts, understand how you would teach us to respond in this day, in this hour, where there's so much opportunity to be just buried under fear. I pray for freedom to come for women and men in this room, that we could live lives full of courage. And before we transition, I want to invite you to take just 30 seconds or so, uh, for those of you that are watching online or even in the room, just to pray for yourself. And just, if you're self-aware and you know of some fears that exist in your life, even now, to just begin in a place of surrender, acknowledge those fears of the unknown, the uncertainties of the future. Maybe it's a fear of being unloved or unknown. And just give those to the Lord and ask him in your own words to speak to you from the scripture today. Father, reveal your heart to me, God. And then lastly, I really do covet your prayer. If you could just say a quick prayer that I'd be a vessel of honor in my weakness, that God's strength would be made perfect. Lord, I come today just weak and willing, so grateful for the privilege to just be among friends God, here at home where we can help people know Jesus better, I thank you, God, that it is only going to get better from here, that you're helping us to redefine what better looks like. And I pray, God, that as I share, that it would not just be my words, but that somehow you'd penetrate hearts of women and men, God, that we would encounter you in the fullness of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. Anybody in this room? I love it. Look at this. Look around. Lots of people have been to the Grand Canyon. The thing about the Grand Canyon, if you've been there, you know this is true. No picture can describe it, right? I mean, Instagram doesn't even come close. You can look at all the 360 views you want of drone shots, but until you're there, you can't understand how vast, how glorious, how beautiful, how awe-inspiring it is. And the Grand Canyon is so 
incredible when you're there in person. I have this visceral memory when I was just in elementary school. Our family took a vacation west, and we stopped there on the way. And I remember my dad holding me close near the edge. And even literally as I described this story to you, you know, over 20 years ago, my heart rate starts to elevate because I remember this reaction of just being overwhelmed with this holy reverence and awe of how great this thing was and that if I were to move an inch, you know, I could lose my life. And the Grand Canyon is beautiful at a distance. I mean, even looking at the photos, it's just so nice. But when you're there in person, the closer you get, the more you realize how awe-inspiring it is. And if you're about 10 feet from the edge of the abyss, especially if you're looking at the Gunnison, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, for those of you that have been there, you know what I'm talking about. Where you're looking 10 feet away, you can kind of begin to take in the beauty and this panoramic shot of just how incredibly gorgeous it is. But the closer you get beyond 10 feet, if your amygdala is broken and you want to just the thrill, if you get to the edge, especially if you were to be about one foot from the edge on the Gunnison there at the Grand Canyon, you would suddenly understand a reaction that is far more than just a cognitive or mental understanding. At that point, at one foot away from the edge of the abyss that like, seems never-ending, like your body will have a physical reaction. Those of you that have been there know what I'm talking about. That goes so much more than just your intellect, right? There's a physiological sensation that forces you backward and out of awe and respect and reverence for this great, magnificent chasm that you couldn't survive if you get too close. And although it's not a perfect picture, I think this is an image that helps us to understand what the fear of the Lord is. See, the Lord actually does want us to be close to him, and we often emphasize the friendship of God, which is good, and we'll talk about that as we look at the fear of the Lord, but sometimes we emphasize God's mercy and his friendship at the expense of understanding the biblical perspective on the fear of the Lord. And when we lose awe and respect like those that die every year at the Grand Canyon that get a little too close, we can really put ourselves in danger. And it's not that we are afraid in the sense like we're somehow in a corner just like waiting for God to strike us down. Like, and I think we have questions like that. Does fear the Lord mean like, like isn't that an Old Testament thing, Nathan, where God is just like gonna you know, judge us? And the truth is, if God were waiting for you and I to mess up so he could judge us, he would have done that a long time ago, if you're like me, right? I think the opposite is true, is that God is actually waiting for us to do something right, that he's given us mercy after mercy, and it is the fear of the Lord that provokes us to that. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them and try to keep up, otherwise it's going to be on the screen. The first is Isaiah, and I want to look at this messianic prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, because I believe it gives a good picture of how Jesus, prophetically, before he even came, how he would live in the fear of the Lord. It says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. And here's our phrase. We're going to see it in 16 other verses, the fear of the Lord. And then look what the scripture says, speaking of Jesus from the prophet Isaiah, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So right off the bat, you get this idea that the fear of the Lord, maybe there is something good to it, right? Like, like being at the Grand Canyon and being thrust backward in awe and reverence, that there's something holy about this fear of the Lord that's not all bad. There's three points I want to look at in relation to the fear of the Lord. And I just, these are not exhaustive, but as I looked at dozens of scriptures about the fear of the Lord, I saw these three commonalities coming out again and again and again. And for your sake, I removed half of the scriptures I wanted to share. The first one is this, the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. You see this throughout the wisdom literature. Um, look at Proverbs 9 as a good example. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So knowledge is important. Knowledge is knowing what to do, but wisdom is the right application of knowledge. There's a lot more we could say about the biblical perspective on wisdom. If you want more on that, you can go back and listen to our Ecclesiastes series as we looked at the wisdom literature in a much fuller context. But Wisdom is rightfully applied knowledge, knowing how and when to apply it in the right context. Look at Psalms 110, which I love this because it looks at the previous generation before Solomon and David's time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Look at this old, old book, Job chapter 28, verse 28 as he describes not only that the fear of the Lord brings wisdom, but where it forces us to go as well. It says this, and he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So number one, the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. That's so important, rightfully applied knowledge. We need that. But secondly, the fear of the Lord 
turns us away from evil. Imagine if there was a toddler at the Grand Canyon and he's, you know, just playing alongside and that me as the father, I'm here. If Caius were toddling around, I would want him to stay on my right side. Are you following me? And at the end of time, we want to be on the right side of the father. I think sometimes when we think about evil and and sin, especially early in our Christian walk, sometimes we're just so hungry to know where the boundary lines are, you know, where the railing is that we're like, well, how far can I go? without displeasing the Lord. But if we understand that chasm, that uncrossable chasm, just like the Grand Canyon, then we don't want anything to do with that edge, right? The fear of the Lord turns us away from evil, that it's not something we want to just get as close to as possible, but actually out of fear of losing relationship, that we would turn away from evil. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 7. He says, be not wise in your own eyes, Solomon's words, fear the Lord And turn away from evil. So wisdom is not just feeling good about yourself or having some rightly applied knowledge in your own understanding, but in the Lord's, which immediately the scripture says leads to a turning away from evil. Later in the same book, Proverbs 8, looking at verse 13, it says, the fear of the Lord is what? Hatred of evil. Now, when you hear the word evil, what do you think of? I, I think about just like genocide and war and just like, just like the, the, the murderous things that have happened in history and some of the more difficult moments of the human age, right? But, but actually the scripture defines evil a little bit different. I think you'll be surprised as you read on in this text that evil is not just where our mind goes in t- terms of the darkest things that we would associate, but actually it's the opposite of love, right? It's when love is not present. And one of the main ways that evil shows its ugly head is through pride and arrogance. Look at this. The Lord, fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So while you might not consider yourself an evil person, I think we could probably all admit at least one of these three is hitting us, and if not, then pride is definitely present, right? You follow me? Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord turns us away from evil. Look at the end of Ecclesiastes, the series we just wrapped up. We looked at this grand experiment from Solomon from all of his life where he explored the depths of humanity and searched for the meaning of life that he found to be just this vapor and smoke, this vanity. And at the end of all of that searching, he said this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So the fear of the Lord is not just some like obscure idea that we should be confused about. This is like the essence of our duty as humans in our righteous response to God's holiness, that we are to fear God. And, and the fear of the Lord, it brings wisdom, it turns us away from evil, but it is not rooted in just being scared of, of dad coming home and us getting in trouble. That is not a good motivation for change. You know, my children, I have three of them, we're learning a lot as we go, but one thing I know is that I do not want them to only do what is right and what is good out of fear of punishment. Because what happens when you remove that punishment? As they transition in life to college or another season, I think we've seen in many kids' lives as they go awry, and, and that's complex, but I think this is one of the reasons. The fear of the Lord is not something that we only respond to God's holiness because we're afraid of punishment. The reason I want Kaysen to do what's right is to stay in right relationship with God, to actually understand the Lord's blessings as well. So the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. It turns us away from evil. And number three, the fear of the Lord brings blessing. You see this throughout the Bible. I've just selected a few verses. Look at Psalm 112, the very first verse. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So you see a connection immediately between obeying God, turning away from evil, following the commandments of God, and blessing. And this is the thing about God. It's not like he's placed these arbitrary restrictions on us so that he can control how we act. God is not after our begrudging submission. God wants us to live in the fullness of beauty and life as he designed us. If you look at Genesis 1, when he created the earth, he said, it's good, it's very good, and you know, they're just happy, naked vegans, living in dominion, taking authority, they're not afraid, and then of course, after the fear of, after, after the fallenness of man enters the world, after they take the apple that God told them not to from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when God comes down to walk with them in the cool of the day, he says, where are you? And for the first time in human history, this emotion enters the scene, and Adam says, I was afraid. See, we weren't designed to walk in that unhealthy fear, 
But God does want us to understand that the fear of the Lord provokes us to follow his commands, not in some arbitrary, begrudging submission, but God actually knows the best way humans were designed to live. And when we follow his commands, it brings blessing. Look at the next verse, Psalm 25, verse 14. I love how it words this. The friendship of the Lord is for those that fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So think about this in terms of a marriage. My wife and I have been married 15 years next month. Um, feels like 50 in a good way. Just kidding. She's not here, so. And in and, and this intimate trust-building relationship that we have been developing for all of this time, if some flirt comes around and tries to pull either one of us out of relationship with one another, we're not going to see how far we can go to test the limits, right? We're going to run and turn away from evil, not because we're afraid of the consequences, though I do fear Tiffany sometimes, for sure, um, but, but honestly, because of the fear of the loss of relationship. That's far more important to me. Do you see this? The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. So fearing the Lord doesn't mean we're just scared to death that we're going to do something wrong in this legalistic checking the boxes kind of way. No, the fear of the Lord brings confidence. Look at this next verse in Proverbs chapter 14. The fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The enemy wants you to believe that somehow God is no fun and that he just wants you to live in this tiny box and never do anything wrong and just that he's trying to control your, you know, behavior, but God is after your heart, right? He wants something so much deeper. And whenever we align our hearts with God, understanding the holiness, the reverence, the awe, the fear of the Lord, then it will provoke us to deep relationship with him so that we can be blessed. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom, right? It's the beginning of wisdom, rightly applied knowledge. It turns us away from evil just like that physiological reaction at the Grand Canyon. And also it brings blessing. Look at one more text on this topic from Luke chapter one. This is in Mary's Magnificat, this beautiful song that the mother of Jesus sings whenever she finds out that she's carrying the savior of the world. She said, and his mercy is for those who fear him. Think about that. You might, you might be tempted to think the fear of the Lord is related strictly to judgment. And, and I do believe there's part of that that's true. But the emphasis on this verse shows the other side, that his mercy, God's mercy is for those who fear him. Because if you don't fear him, then you will receive his judgment. Now, as we, we've talked a little bit about the healthy side of fear. We're going to look now at the dark side of fear and the unhealthy side. And I just, just want to remind you that as we jump into this, that the very same God that is with us, that causes us to not be afraid of any circumstance that we may encounter, is the same God that will judge us if we're living in disobedience. Do you feel the weight of that? I mean, whatever it is, imagine the worst case scenario that you don't have to be afraid of that because we know God is with us and we'll look at the text in this. But the same God that gives us courage to stand in the face of adversity is the same righteous and holy God that will judge our disobedience. So there's something righteous and holy about this balance between understanding the fear of the Lord and how it provokes us to respond to the dark side of fear. Look at Jesus, Matthew 10. This is a very strong verse. We'll come back to it for more context, but I just want you to see the connection here. Jesus himself said, do not fear those who kill the body. Easy to say, right? But Jesus doesn't just say it, he lives it. I mean, Jesus gave up his life, and he knows the disciples he's speaking to would also give up theirs. Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Strong verse, but I want you to see the connection. Apparently for Jesus, there is a connection between fearing God and fearing man. And do, does anyone know what the most common command in all of scripture is? Yeah, fear not, don't be afraid, have courage, stand strong. Hundreds of times the scripture from beginning to end gives this warning, this encouragement, and this commandment over and over and over again. And why do you think we need so many reminders? A great example is Joshua chapter 1. The context is after Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're wandering in the desert for 40 years, and it's finally time for the new generation to go in and take the promised land, the fulfillment of all of God's promises they've been working toward for so long. And as the new law is being handed down and the new leader is taking place, Four times in one chapter, I encourage you to go read it today, 
this phrase comes again and again. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? I want you to notice that the Scripture has very strong language in this instance that is not just suggesting that maybe we would consider not being so panic-focused, but actually it's a command to be strong and courageous, and it says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? Why do we not have to be frightened as we go into the promised land that God's called us to where battles await? For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go, no matter where you go, God is with you. That's the reason that we don't have to be afraid. And what I want you to notice as you look into this part of the scripture in response to the dark side of fear is that it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Do you see that? Like God had promised them this land and that they would enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, but there would be battle after battle, war after war. There would be loss of life. There would be challenge after challenge. And it's because, not in spite of those things, not, not just be, not trying to pretend like they're not there, but acknowledging the real fear that would be present and pressing on because God is with us wherever we go. That's why he repeats it over and over and over again. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed because God is with you. Look at Psalm 27 verse 1. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I love this because David is one who his very life was being sought after again and again, even before he was king. And definitely during that time, you see such vulnerability in the Psalms as David's like, God, where were you? And later in this text, he said, they're coming to eat my flesh. There's all these people after me. But even in spite of all those things, David says, the Lord is my light. Who shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, this fortified city that cannot be penetrated by whatever circumstance he's saying, of whom shall I be afraid? And then his most famous psalm, my favorite song from Psalms chapter 23 in verse four, he says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Again, why, why does David not fear evil even in the darkest moments of his life? For you're with me. I want you to think about that in light of where we're at in 2020, because I think perhaps more than any other time in history, we have an opportunity to fear everything on a global level. I mean, if, if you're not aware, there's something called negativity bias. And this is a, just a, a term that basically means that negative news spreads, because of the human condition, immensely more than positive news. So if you were to just kind of put it on a scale and see how many negative stories compared to how many positive stories are coming out through the various news outlets that we all enjoy or not enjoy, um, and track that across the last several decades that we are at an all-time high for all of human history. And the reason for that, amongst others, the primary reason is because of negativity bias. So humans are predisposed because of the fallenness of this world to latch on and to think about and to interact and to give our attention to negative stories more than we are positive stories. So guess what? This is not something new, but social media has certainly exacerbated this idea that when we consume content in this age, as we think about fear, we need to be aware that often when we're using these tools that can be for good, we have to realize, like with social media in particular, that it's not the product that we're using, but we're the product being used. I had one friend in our Connect group this week that helped me to see that there's such a positive side in her own life of her Facebook. She's like, I just unfriend the people that are negative. <laughs> She's like, it's still a divided feed, but I'm getting encouragement and scripture. And I'm not saying that there can't be anything good to come through social media. Here's what I am saying. You are paying for that product with your time, with your life, with your energy. And the more time you invest to that, guess who's making money off of that? Not you, right? You are lining the pockets of others because you're the product that is being sold in a very particular way like no other time in history to advertisers. And we have to be aware of this because of that negativity bias and the age of social media that we're living in that these echo chambers keep multiplying and pulling us to more places of polarization because fear makes a lot of money, right? It sells, and I, I'm not here just to say that we should all walk away from it forever, but I'm saying we gotta be aware of the day in which we are living. I have a good friend that's a researcher in D.C., multiple PhDs from Stanford, fellow at uh, MIT and Harvard. And he just came out with some research that shows how our consumption, so the money that we're spending, 
is actually intimately connected to our social media networks. He actually was able to show through research with full controls that if you look at the zip codes where infection cases of COVID are going up and down, that we are 10 times more affected in our consumption habits by our social media networks and their zip codes than we are by our own. Think about that. The way that we spend money is deeply affected, in fact, 10 times more so by those we're connected to in social media and the COVID cases in the counties we're connected to rather than our own zip code. Isn't that wild? I mean, if you think about it, it should become pretty obvious, but to see the research back it up, it's so interesting the age in which we're living and we cannot just be these like, you know, unaware, ignorant people. You know, the scripture, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. And that's how I feel as I'm coming with this earnest desire for us to open our eyes and be cognizant of the way that we're consuming media because the agenda that is present, not just in the outlets themselves, and there's some wonderful people serving in all of these different areas of industry. I would never question that. But there's also a very spiritual side of what's happening in the climate of 2020 that we're living in, and it has a deep effect upon fear. And we've got to be aware of that, because even with the modern exposure to all of this stuff that we've never been exposed to quite at this globalized level, that even with all of that, David says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, I will fear nothing. Who will I be afraid of? Why? Because you are with me. My good friend Derek said, you know, this is a matter of who you're with trumps what you're going through. I love that. You know, if Caius is walking into the preschool room back here with some of your children that are not as wonderful as mine, and they're bullies, um, if I'm walking with him, I almost said something worse, but... um, if there are bullies in the room, hypothetically, um, because maybe the preschool staff person's not doing a great job or whatever, um, why did I pick the service being streamed to say this story? Um, then when I'm with him, the point of my joke here is when I'm with my four-year-old, he doesn't have to fear the five-year-old bullies, right? Because who you're with trumps what you're going through. And that's what David says in Psalm 27, Psalm 23. The reason he doesn't fear is because he knows that God is with him. But where does this leave us? So we've talked about like the healthy fear of the Lord, which leads to wisdom. It leads to the right application of knowledge. It leads to turning away from evil and running toward relationship and blessing with God. And then a little bit about the dark side and how the scriptures command us not to fear and why we shouldn't fear because God is with us. But how do we actually do that? I want to look at a text, our primary one in 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, look at this with me. Um, This is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy that is like his own son. You know, Paul didn't have biological children, but this is someone that he was extremely close to. In fact, if you read the first part of this letter, you see that they were in tears the last time that they separated. He said, I remember the tears the last time we were together. I remember your mom and your grandmother. He knows him so well. And as you look at the way that Paul writes to Timothy, you notice that he's observed in this young protege a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, as some translations would say. In another text, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set an example. And we get this picture that Paul understood and knew Timothy's strength and his weakness, and he's writing to remind him of some things. We need reminders, right? That's why the scriptures, I think, hundreds of times call us to take courage. I would say this from Winston Churchill, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. So as we look at those texts about not fearing, it's not that it's not going to be scary. Those battles that they were going into at Jericho and AI and all these other places, they were going to be terror, terrifying. And yet they chose not just to react in fear, but to have a decision that was rooted in courage. And Paul has all of that in view as he's writing to Timothy. I just want you to know he understands the fear of the Lord and is writing to this unique context to his own son. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. And then he interprets himself. This is why I'm reminding you of this, because God has given us a spirit. Now, what kind of spirit does Paul say to Timothy that God has given us? First, he defines what it is not. It's a critical verse for us to understand. It's that God has given us a spirit not of what? Not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The first thing I want you to observe as we talk about how we overcome fear on the dark side, the unhealthy side, is this. Acknowledging that it's actually there. And for some of us, this may be the hardest thing to do. Paul knows 
this young man, Timothy, so well. He knows that spirit of timidity that was there. And so he's calling it out in love so that he can deal with it. And for some of us, you know, this is a little bit easier. If you're like an Enneagram 6, maybe you're a worst-case scenario thinker, and anytime like you hear water dripping and you're like, oh my gosh, what if my house floods? What if my bed floats away? And, you know, it just turns into this, you know, illogical, amazing, that's my wife. She just, worst case scenario, it's just natural in her disposition. And for some of us, fear is right on the surface and we can identify it and it helps us. But for others of us, it's just buried. Like I'm, I'm this guy that just loves adventure. You know, I'm the one with the half broken amygdala that wants to stand one foot from the edge just to experience, you know, the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And even though on the surface, I may appear like one of the most confident people deep down, We all have fears. And I know I have many fears that I'm still uncovering with the Lord, but I'll tell you one of the deepest ones for me, and that's a fear of being unloved. It's not your typical fear. It's not afraid of heights. It's not afraid of, you know, what's going to happen with my finances. But deep, deep down in my soul, I think in part because of some of the abuse I walked through early in my childhood, there is this fear of not really being understood not being known, and ultimately not being loved. And, and on top of that fear, things begin to stack. So this sin of performance and people-pleasing and trying to get everyone to like me and pride and arrogance, it's all there, isn't it? But deep underneath that is a spirit of fear that I need God's healing to continually come and change. And I think there are people that are like, man, this message is for somebody else because I'm not afraid of anything. And the truth is, like, the more bravado and intimidation and the more that we appear as this arrogant person, the more I know nine times out of ten that is masking insecurity and pride. And those of you that have walked through addiction or no addiction recovery ministry, like, it's so true so often that underneath the pride and underneath the choices of coping that it's really rooted in fear. One of my friends after this service just shared his testimony with me after Celebrate Recovery. He said he lived his whole life in fear and that was the root of his addiction. And then he met Jesus and it transformed everything. And he said, you know, Nathan, through all of this stuff with COVID, I haven't been afraid one time. And he lived for decades of his life in fear, but God helped to transform that. So I think the first step that we need to acknowledge the fear is there. And that, that may take some soul searching you or having a friend that knows you well to see what's underneath some of the stuff that hides it. The second step, I would say, is acknowledging the source of that fear. Now, we know there's a holy, righteous fear of the Lord, which leads to relationship, but there's also this unrighteous, unholy fear that leads us to just being terrified and being afraid, and that spirit of fear is not from God. It's not from God. It's not from God. Let me tell you this in the most loving way I can knowing that many of us wrestle with various fears and they're very, very real and I'm not minimizing them. I understand there's a physiological component to so much of the anxiety and fear and all this, but I'm telling you there's a much deeper spiritual reality that God who created you to live in communion with him has not designed you to live in a spirit of fear. And so we have to acknowledge this, that those unnecessary, unhealthy fears that provoke us to that place of anxiety where we're not fully operating in the fear of the Lord and the trust that he's got us, that is not from God. And and I would just say that if we're really walking in the fear of the Lord and trusting him in all of his beauty and splendor, that that is incompatible with the spirit of fear. And that's not to say that we won't have bad days or challenging moments come or things to be afraid of, but when they come, we acknowledge them, we acknowledge the source of those fears that they're not from God, and we replace them with these three things. Look at the picture of the Trinity here. He says, God has given us a spirit, not of fear. It's not from him, but it is, number one, a spirit of what? A spirit of power. If you know Paul in his writing, he talks a lot about the power of God. This is the picture of the Holy Spirit. You see it in his sermon in Acts. You see it in the letter of 1 Corinthians. You can go look at 12, 13, 14 and see the picture of how love is connected with the power of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's a very important topic for him. And this is something that we desperately need if we're going to overcome the spirit of fear in our age. Like, yes, we should use wisdom in how we consume media and how we allow our minds to, to wrestle out different things. But All of those natural things will not be able to overcome it without the help of the Spirit. And we need God's Spirit. We need the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to walk in that. That's what Paul would say. The next thing that he says is that God's given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. 
I think sometimes when we think about power, do you want to give me that other mic? Sounds like we're struggling today. Thanks, Ryan. Check, check. About power, I think we're tempted to think that power is the ability to control others, right? And I think one of the root things that comes in fear is the inability to know the outcome and to know what's going to happen. And so whenever Paul looks at this, the spirit of power and of love, we got to see these things connected because the power that he's talking about is not the power to control others, but it's actually the power to serve others. The scripture defines love as willing the highest good for another. No greater love has a man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus modeled this by washing his disciples' feet. He who was full of all authority in heaven and earth that was given unto him, and yet he acted as a servant. That's the love of the Father that we desperately need if we're not going to walk in the spirit of fear. Another scripture we didn't have time to put up, but is, is that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love and the spirit of fear are incompatible. Just like my own fear of being unloved that I was vulnerable about. Do you know whenever I understand God's perfect love for me, that he doesn't love me because of how good I am or anything that I could do in my own strength, but he loves me as I am created in his image, that that immediately removes this illogical fear of being unloved. It really does, because they're incompatible. And the last thing in this text we see is not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power of the Holy Spirit, love of the Father, and sound mind in Christ Jesus. ESV is self-control. In the Greek, it's all connected. It talks about a, a self-control, sound mind, which we know that God's given us in Jesus. And I think this is important to recognize that God's not given us a mind that is prone to, to panic and turning all of the worst-case scenario things that we actually can exercise self-control. And this is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And each one of us have to, with fear and trembling, the holy fear of God, work out our salvation with the Lord and how we're responding to the things that are in our life that would try to control and manipulate us. But when combined together with this text, you can see a way forward. Can you not? Right? The healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord leads us to not walk in a spirit of fear. So number one, just in a quick recap as we look at this uh, last text before we close, is that the fear of the Lord brings wisdom, that rightly applied knowledge that we need. It causes us to turn away from evil, not out of fear that somehow God will judge us, but out of fear of loss of relationship because the fear of the Lord brings a blessing that comes with the commandments of God. And then on the dark side, the reason that God has called us to not fear is because he is with us wherever we go. And no matter what we may face, we know it's important to acknowledge that fear, to be honest about it so that it loses its power, and then to acknowledge the source of that fear, right, that is not from God, and to replace it with the spirit of power of the Holy Spirit, love of the Father, and that self-controlled sound mind. I want to wrap up with Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 28. He said this, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then listen to the way he frames the ending. Are you, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Can you just see a picture of the Father's love in that text and the connection between when we really understand the Father's love for us, that we are so valuable to him that we can trust him no matter what we're facing and we don't have to be afraid, that there is a way to live without that constant anxiety and fear. As we were in teaching team this week, I was searching for a closing illustration and I became excited as this thought came to my mind, what if a member of our teaching team who has a personal testimony about this topic would be willing just to share vulnerably from their own life how they have been able to make steps toward overcoming fear. And Ryan Garrett is coming. Would you please welcome him? Good morning. So Nathan, we were talking about this in teaching team, and I mentioned this in passing, and then he asked me to share it. But um, my relationship to fear, if you will, started, I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, when did that start for me? Well, it started when I was a kid. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of my parents dying. I was afraid of being kidnapped. Weird one. But I was afraid, and sometimes those things lingered. But I had wonderful, godly parents, and they provided me scripture 
my mom in particular, to memorize. And to say, this is how you answer fear. This is how you do it. One of those was the Timothy verse, the Second Timothy 1.7 there, that says, for the, I remind you that he's not given us a spirit of fear. God didn't give us fear. He gave us power and love and a sound mind, self-controlled. I had that verse in my mind. I repeated it often. I prayed through it a lot as a kid. And frankly, fear kind of went away. It wasn't really a part of my life. Fast forward to about 2006, maybe into the very beginning of 2007. Just had my one and only daughter. I love with all my heart with Ellie or with Ashley. We had Ellie. And I was on a business trip, went to Portland, Oregon. And when I landed, I was, I don't know what was going on. I felt as if I was out, almost outside of my body, out, out, out of sorts, scared, terrified. It was a bad plane ride. I'd gotten very upset because of that, and it just lingered. And that entire week in Portland, I had to leave meetings in the middle of the meeting because I, con I constantly could not sit still. What I was having and didn't realize were anxiety attacks, panic attacks. And it made me feel in such a way that, honestly, if you've not experienced it, it's hard to describe. But from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I felt like there was adrenaline pouring through my body. I would wake up in the middle of the night like that and couldn't sleep for six or seven hours. It just haunted me, and it came after me repeatedly. I went to the doctor. I thought I had a brain tumor. I thought I had something else. I thought I had an entrapment of a nerve. I mean, it, by the way, WebMD, no. Don't do that. Nathan said that earlier about social media. It goes to a lot of things on the Internet. Stop trying to be a doctor. You're not one. So, and I'm saying that to myself, by the way. But anyways, after going through all the things with the, with, the hot, with the doctors and having all these tests and finding out I'm perfectly healthy, there's nothing wrong with me, I came to the realization, now this is fear. This is anxiety. This is what it looks like. I went to a counselor. I got some help in that way. But really what began to percolate and come back through my mind was, I need God in this situation. I'd never left God. I've been walking with him this whole time. Fear can strike you. It doesn't matter where you're at. It can strike you all the time. Joshua was hit with fear. They, they were encouraged all the time because they were experiencing it. There was no silver bullet. But the one thing I can tell you is that as God, I got into God's word and actually made it a part of my day every day, at times taking lunch to do nothing but sit and read scripture and pray and say it back to God and taking time to get quiet before him and just chill. God started to heal me. One of the verses I want to share with you this morning is that Philippians 4, 4 through 7, which my grandmother, before she passed away, when I started dealing with all this, she gave me a little card, had this verse on it. She had no idea how important it was to me, but now it's in my devotional every single day with me because it really is that important. Here's the verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God's about joy. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. He's actually with us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is with you. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God. Talk to him about your fears. Tell him what's going on. Say, hey, I got to have you right now. And when you do these things in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, he guards us. He gives us peace. And it's been a process, you know, to, not seven months after I got into really with anxiety and some fear that was pretty heavy there in like 2007. My best friend died in a random accident. Um, our house sale, the only one we've done in a long time, almost fell through. It was incredibly stressful. But God saw me through that. It got better and better. We've had some tough years in between that I want to just share. Like, my father-in-law died suddenly. My dad was diagnosed with cancer and died within 10 months. We've gone through some really tough times. And amazingly, as God has walked me through this anxiety and panic, it's gotten better and better because of him. Here's what he said to me, and I'll say it to you. This is what I felt like God said to me a long time ago during the beginnings of this. Son, I'm God. 
I made this world. The Grand Canyon that you admire and that you even fear, I breathed it into existence. And I am with you. I am beside you always. That's what he would say to you. When COVID began, we wrote this on, I wrote this on our chalkboard at home, and it's these verses from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And it goes on to say at the end, a quote from God, be still and know that I am God. God's final word to me on that in many ways was, lean in. I'll take you under my wing. Lean into me, Ryan, when you're weak and when this comes upon you. You lean into me. I'll heal you and I'll carry you. Before we leave, can we just close our eyes just for a moment of focus? I want to invite us to some reflection and response, safely, socially distant from our chairs. As we consider various ways to respond this morning, I think the first thing I would ask of you is, are you here and you need a renewed understanding of the fear of the Lord? That perhaps when I talked about knowing the boundaries and getting too close to the edge, some of you realize you're, you're way too close. And that if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe some of you here are watching online need a renewed understanding of the holiness of God and a healthy fear of the Lord that would bring you wisdom, that would turn you away from evil, and that would bring a blessing. I think in some way we all need a deeper understanding, but if that's you and you specifically would like prayer for that, as eyes are closed, I just want to invite you just to raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying for. Would you just raise your hands all over this room? You want to have a deeper understanding of the fear of the Lord. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Praise God. And secondly, I would ask you this. Perhaps as Ryan shared his testimony or as we talked about not living in the unhealthy side of fear, if you're honest with yourself in this season and perhaps for a longer period of life, you have allowed yourself to be trapped in these cycles of paranoia or fear or even panic to the extent where it's consuming your life and you, you really want to break through. You really say, God, I want to have a spirit of love and a power and a sound mind that has no room for that. And you, you want to just start a new journey toward not walking in fear on a daily basis. If you're in that place, would you just be honest and just say, hey, Nathan, I need prayer. Thank you so much. I think there's power in that honesty before the Lord acknowledging it. Thank you so much. I'm seeing hands all over the room. That's amazing. And, and there are others that are somewhere in this continuum. And I just want to invite Ryan to close us in prayer. But as he prays, would you, would you pray in your own heart language, in your own way? Just invite God to show you the fear of the Lord, because he will. Invite him to give you that reverence and awe. But also invite him to give you that love of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Christ-like mind that is self-controlled. And I just want to tell you as we leave this morning that this is a journey. The decisions that you're making right now to not live in a spirit of fear, to understand the fear of the Lord, they're not instantaneously going to be solved. You may make great strides in the week to come, but it really matters what you're doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's why I have an impassioned plea about the role of media in our age, not to shame or cause anyone to live in guilt but perhaps to convict us to a place of righteousness where we're aware and we're being cognizant on our journey of what we let into our minds, into our children's minds, into our homes and our lives. I, I wasn't planning to share this, but I, just in vulnerability, I wanna tell you something that I think is possible and it's very, very personal, but in the latter part of 2019, I began to feel the Lord uh, calling me to my word for the year for 2020, which is consecration. And as I was asking the Lord in 2019 what that might look like, I felt that he would ask me to just lay down my love of podcasts and of news and television and film and social media, all things that I actually enjoy 
for a whole year and just to consecrate myself before the Lord. And it's not something I've, I've talked about publicly before this moment, but, you know, before all this unfolded, I feel like it was the Lord's way of knowing my own soul and condition and calling me to a place where my source was not those things, but that it was in the place of prayer and consecration. And let me just tell you, if you, if you think it's impossible <laughs> to live without those things in your life, that it's totally possible. And, and perhaps for you, what that might look like is just having a digital Sabbath. Maybe it's not going cold turkey. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe, maybe for you, it's just turning off your phone one day a week. I would encourage you to try that. You know, for, for others, maybe it's dialing it from five hours a day down to four, you know, or skipping a day every now and then. And don't let that practical advice be lost on the greater wisdom, which is to seek the fear of the Lord and be in the scripture. Like if we're just fasting from something like media, but not replacing it with time with the Father, then it's a lost cause. The real key, the real secret to that, which I found in my own life to be true, is making time for the things that matter more. And if, if you're spending more time looking for truth in places other than the book of truth and other than the source of truth that is Jesus, then just consider laying down that idol. And I say that to you in love as my friends so that you could live in that blessed life. I'm gonna ask Ryan to pray for us. Father, we come before you humbly knowing that you are the creator God. Lord, restore in us a, a right fear, a right love for you, Lord, that will give our lives balance bring us into right relationship with you and others. And also, God, we pray right now about the other side of fear, of anxiety, of panic, of worry, that as these things bombard us, either in our own minds, from outside people, or from the enemy of our souls, that you will safeguard us and that you will protect us. For we know that you've told us you didn't give us this fear, that you gave us love and power and a sound mind. I pray over these people now that have raised their hands about that, that you will restore those things in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives. Direct us, Holy Spirit, what we should do in order to be closer to you and to put fear in its place through the power of you and your Holy Spirit. I love you, Lord, and I pray that you will just bless each and every person in here as they deal with the different kinds of fear that come their way that they will indeed lean into you. Let you be their protector and let you have your way. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.